Jewish Latin Princess, Episode 49, Ruth Devora Wallen, founder of Torah Therapeutics and creator of Noga Sound Solutions. You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast by Yael. Every week, get your dose of inspiration from the world's most uniquely talented Jewish women and from Yael herself. Seeking profound and practical ways to live a joyful, richer Jewish life? Welcome to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. And now, Jewish lifestyle expert and bilingual blogger at jewishlatinprincess.com, your host, Yael. Have you ever wondered what Judaism has to say about meditation? Is there such a thing in Judaism? Can we practice other forms of meditation? You're listening to Jewish Latin Princess. I'm Yael Trush, your host. Welcome back. My guest has all these answers and a lot more for us today. I have the pleasure to bring you Ruth Devora Wallen, licensed clinical social worker and psychotherapist in private practice for over two decades. Ruth Devora instills a Torah approach to holistic healing and teaches meditation that has no trace of other religions. She's the founder of Torah Therapeutics and creator of Noga Sound Solutions. How did she get to where she is today? And why did she formulate this approach to healing? Pay close attention to everything she has to say about meditation. And by the way, if you really want to learn how to meditate, this episode might save you hundreds of dollars. What are three habits that Rustavora practices consistently and how did they help her during a trying medical situation? Here you go, ladies. Here's Rustavora Wallen. Laura Wallen, welcome to Jewish Latin Princess. Hi. I am so thrilled to connect with you again. I had the pleasure of seeing you in Houston about three years ago. You came and talked to the women in Houston during the month of Elul, and you inspired us, and you sang with us and played guitar, and we had so much fun, so I'm just yeah, thrilled to have you here. Hmm? It was fun. It was reconnect and reboot, reboot and reconnect. Yes, that's what it was, and I think you're all about that. So I want to get to what you do. Your practice is called Torah Therapeutics. You're a psychotherapist, but you're not a traditional psychotherapist. And by that, I mean, you have a Torah-inspired approach and a holistic approach to healing. And I want to talk about all that, but I want to get first to the beginnings. How did you even end up combining your clinical work, your professional training with this more spiritual work, particularly based on Torah? And, and more importantly, why? It's a great question, Yael. I think this is going to take us into very interesting territory. So the first piece is, as a little child, growing up in a Reformed Jewish background, I was always interested in Judaism. And I asked a million questions, and there was no answer that was satisfactory, even up to the sixth and seventh grades. And then I asked my mother if I could go to conservative Hebrew high school, and that was another carpool. But she allowed me, and there were still more questions. And I decided then that I wanted to become a rabbi. <laughs> so I went to uh, and a Hazanit, a singer, a, a cantor. And I, as you know, I have a, a musical background. And I went to University of Cincinnati, where the Hebrew Union College is across the street. I thought I would get in good at the rabbinical school for the reform movement. At the same time, fulfilling my music degree, and then started singing in the choir there. They brought a lot of the musicians over from the university to sing on Shabbat mornings. And that was a beautiful musical experience, but it was not spiritual. And it was Jewish music, but it felt more like performance. And I was still striving and curious. Mm -hmm. Until uh, one day I was visiting my sister, who was living in Cleveland at the time, and she took me to a Jewish bookstore. And I asked the guy for a book that was 100% that I felt ripped off by my Jewish upbringing. And he tur turned me on to the first volume of the Torah anthology, Me'am Lo'ez, mm -hmm. in English. And that was the first one that was out, the only one that was out. But I was so inspired by it, and it had such deep, rich concepts and many of them psychological and I was a deep deep thinker even even as a teenager and then I went back to college and one day I was walking on campus and bumped into a Jewish lending library manned by a Lubavitcher rabbi mm -hmm. and instead of him saying hey are you Jewish I said hey are you a rabbi <laughs> 
I asked him a million questions, and that book that I had read was sitting on the table. And I told him I read that book and asked him for the next volume. He said, it's not out yet. But then that day, I skipped all my classes and asked him questions, and it was the first time ever I was satisfied with answers about my Jewish questions. Like, what's a soul? And how are Jews different? And why do some people keep kosher and others don't? These were just poo-pooed. You know, Jews aren't different and we don't have a soul and there's no such thing and we don't need to keep kosher. That's how I was answered when I was younger. He, this man gave me very interesting, intriguing, and satisfactory answers that were deep and rich and psychological. Right. So then I started going to their house. I started becoming observant. He koshered my kitchen. Let's fast forward. I went to Israel. I study Torah. And then I'm seeing that the Torah has all these incredible psychological concepts. Then brought to work on campus here at University of Buffalo for Chabad. And then I'm brought to Crown Heights as a madricha, a counselor at the dormitory at Mahon Chana, which is now Mahon Liadis. Mm-hmm. And I did that for a few years and then, and ran some programs for Rabbi Hecht, Oliver Shalom. And then a very bizarre phenomenon occurred. His son was doing deprograms in deprogrammings of cult uh, individuals who were stuck in cults. I was one of the deprogrammers, the good cop, mm-hmm. and he sent handwriting sample to you might even remember her, um, Roxanne Perry, who is a, a brilliant graphologist and a therapist and an intuitive person mm-hmm. to help us get this girl out of the cult. And lo and behold, the analysis was so clear that we were able to get into her head. And I said, wow, this is fascinating. I sent my handwriting to her. It came back with a description of me that was like a biography and a a blueprint for my future. And basically in that blueprint, she said that I was a therapist by nature, that I was a caring person, a loving person, a listener, somebody who could figure things out, troubleshoot, hold a confidence, maintain a privacy, Etc. And and because of that analysis, I went to social work school, got a bracha from the Rebbe and from Rabbi Hecht, all of a shalom. So now I'm in social work school studying, and I, of course, on the side, because I'm a Lubavitcher, am learning Torah all the time during the week, going to classes, and seeing the Torah knows everything. The Torah is way more psychologically clued in than some of the you know, at that time, the current trends in psychotherapy. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the, the, you know, the, the, the 80s. And then trends became more and more consonant with Torah. Now, and we know that there's a Zohar <clears throat> that prophesies this, that in Parshas Noah, there's a statement about the windows in the heavens and the world of... Uh, 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 pool, a spring rushing from below, that these two phenomena are going to converge in the sixth millennium, the 600th year, which has passed when the secrets of Torah have been revealed, and the secrets of science are converging. So the secular world sciences are coming to converge with Torah. Well, the more I saw, I said, oh my gosh, this good therapeutic technique is the Torah knew it from the Gomorrah, the Torah knew it from the Arizal, the Torah knew it from Rambam, the Torah knows it from Hasidus. And I kept finding these correlations and saying, but the Torah knew it first. We knew it already. And then, because my practice started becoming more, let's say, a practice with clients who were observant, and many of them Lubavitchers themselves, so I knew that my clients needed to know that I was a trusted individual, right? Yeah. That I have their cultural and religious back also, right? This is not just brain science. This is also there. I respect their cultural and religious values because I'm one of them. Mm-hmm. And so I named my company Torah Therapeutics. Everything, when I teach a client a technique, usually I will bring some Torah source first and show them how it's consonant so they can feel safe and sound knowing that I'm not diverging from their preferences. 
Beautiful. And it's true. It's in, you mean, you started discovering this in the, in the 80s, but today we see how things are really merging and all these trends that, you know, they're talking about and positive exactly. thinking and happiness and all these. Exactly. We knew it first. We knew it and we had it with us. <laughs> And it's coming to the surface, which is a great thing. Um, at the same time, a lot of people are looking for answers, perhaps in places that are not ours. Maybe it's become more accessible. Maybe it's more approachable in some ways. W what's happening here? Why is that a slippery slope or, or is it? Oh, oh my goodness. Yeah, all these are brilliant questions because they speak directly to the matter. I feel a huge responsibility not just to answer this question to you, but to disseminate this knowledge anywhere and everywhere. Mm -hmm. And here's where I take it to be actually a part of my mission, yeah, Al, to do exactly what you're talking about. So what is the potential slippery slope? It is that the majority of the people in the world are non-Jewish. So it's unlikely that they're running to our sources. They have sources that are available and more studied and more presented and more readily accessible in the world. Mm -hmm. So let's say from the 70s and on, Transcendental meditation made a big hit. Right. Then the Eastern philosophies became more, let's say, cool and worthy of Westerners' interest. They were a little bit less materially focused than the typical Western um, approach. And there's a lot of beautiful wisdom in the Eastern cultures. Remember, um, if we go back to the Bible... In Genesis, there's a story of Abraham after Sarah's passing that he remarries Hagar, who has now become Keturah. She has actually become somewhat of a convert, a monotheist, mm -hmm. and she has children with Abraham, and they are not the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, but they're her descendants, and it says there that he sent his sons to the east with gifts, in matanot. Right. These matanos, these matanot, Rashi explains are shemot hatum'ah. These are impure names, knowing, and, you know, I'm going to extrapolate here, but I've read various commentaries on this. Uh, Rabbi Glazerson explains this as well, that... These matanot, because they were not Jewish children, in other words, the sons of Isaac and Jacob, right. so they did not have the same level of access to God as is spelled in his name, Yudke Vavke, mm -hmm. the, the supernal, ineffable name. Mm -hmm. But they can reach to God through nature. And so he gave these names... These are ways of connecting to God through nature and science. And so you see a lot of brilliant um, sciences coming, Ayurvedic medicine and some of the manners of eating and massage and, and, and acupuncture and acupressure. Mm -hmm. And all of these sciences come from the East and they're being proven by science to be beneficial. So... These, this is knowledge, and it says in the Torah, Chochma Bagoyim Tamim. You can believe the wisdom of a non-Jew, but if they tell you it's a Torah that's a godly thing, we have our own. We're not to believe them. Okay, so then how do we address the person who says, well, okay, but I was born Jewish, but I don't really practice anything, so, you know. Well, yeah, it shouldn't bother me, right? Exactly. How do so we address that? Really Great question, Yael. So, I was brought up, as I said, reform. Now, maybe I sound like I'm uh, very intelligent and calm speaking at this point in my life, but when I was a teenager, I was a wild Indian. I was a maniac. 
You can use your imagination. Please do not ask me explicitly what I did as a wild teenager, but you can use your imagination very broadly and, and imagine where I was at and what crazy stuff I was doing. Well, my best friend's mom, who was a TMer, a transcendental meditator, oh, okay, said, you know what, we need to bring my English name Darcy to the TM center and teach her how to meditate to calm her down. <laughs> So they did, and my mother approved of it. If anything to calm the girl down, yeah, go for it. It was, I think, 150 bucks at the time, and I went into this um, thing thinking that I'm going to learn a technique to calm my nerves, which it did. It was very calming. Okay. However, however, there was a big caveat. When they did the initiation, in other words, the first appointment where they give you the sound that you're going to meditate on and remember meditation in its simplest format is a focus and if your mind shifts to refocus that's all it is shift and focus mm -hmm. what they were going to give us is a sound that they said no one else has it's your own private chosen sound it doesn't mean anything it's going to give your inner mind a relaxing kind of benefit and so you just say this quietly to yourself. Don't ever share the sound out loud. Oh. Okay. And there were a lot of secretive things. And then they told us to bring certain items to this first meeting. I'm nervous already. <laughs> it's very scary because Jewish people don't realize what's going on here. You're told to bring a hanky and a fruit and a flower and I believe rice and when you got there and they're starting this quote-unquote ceremony, there's a guru photograph of a guru and an altar with incense. So you were meant to kneel down in front of an altar uh -oh. where a language that was not my own would be secretly spoken, where a sound was given in my ear that was not in my American English language, where I'm offering offerings to either a guru or a god or a goddess. I do not know what I was doing. And I immediately said to the guy, I can't do this. I'm a Jew. And he said, oh, don't worry. You only need to do this once. Hmm. And we have many Jews and Christians doing this technique. And I was shut up and I was given my mantra mm -hmm. and I kind of pretended like that never happened because it never happened again. Mm -hmm. Meditated 20 minutes. This is the prescribed amount twice a day for four years. I was able to get through high school and finish up. I was able to get through two years of college until that day that I bumped into the rabbi on campus that I had mentioned uh -huh. after reading that book. And that day I said to him, is a Jew allowed to meditate? And he says it depends on the sort of meditation. This was in 1979 in the fall. Now, you may think this is crazy, and I might sound delusional, but I believe that the Rebbe spoke that summer, the 13th of Tammuz. He gave a public talk, a sicha, on transcendental meditation and the problems with it. And when I asked this of the rabbi, he said, as long as you're not saying a name of a god or a goddess. Well, they denied that. I did forget about that ceremony temporarily, right? Right. But it started making me wonder. And then the mantra started getting boring. And I said, you know what? I mean, let's imagine the word were cookie. So imagine saying cookie, 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 cookie in your head 20 minutes twice a day. So cookies get boring. So I said, you know what? I'm not going to go and spend 150 bucks. I'm going to go to the bookstore at the campus in Buffalo, and I'm going to, you know, find find my own mantra. So there was a book that's sticking out. said, choose your own mantra. And I grabbed it. And it was, you know, hundreds of mantras. And I didn't really leaf through it. It opened up to a page. Okay. And and that page had my mantra on it. What did it say? 
that nobody else has, of course, and doesn't mean anything that they lied, and is not uh, anything problematic for a Jew. It was a lie, all of those things. Said Hindu deity, goddess of the earth. I slammed the book closed. Now, (laughs) I'm a Jewish girl trying to get into Judaism now, and I've been speaking to a goddess for four years. (laughs) Okay? So that's the first problem. The first problem I encountered was with TM. I tried to stop. I learned about the Sikha of the Rebbe. Mm -hmm. I went to Minnesota to where Rabbi Friedman taught in Beis Hana. Right. I told him of my problem. The mantra kept dripping like a drippy faucet. Imagine four times, twice, twice a day for four years. That's a long time saying the same thing over and over and over. Right. Right? So it wouldn't stop in my head on its own. So he said, memorize the 12 Torah passages for young soldiers, the Rebbe's verses from the Torah and various commentaries one is Shema Yisrael, and one is Bereshit Bara Elohim. Familiar verses, I memorize them. As soon as that mantra comes in, say the verse. And that's what I did, and I was able to get rid of it. I stayed very far from meditation until, as we said, science and Torah are converging. But, Ruth Devora, you stayed far from meditation and, and yes. until you discovered how they converge. During that gap period, were you still calmer Did, um, because you said before that you the effects were there it had certainly helped with your nerves exactly so it did have some significant longer term effects but i can tell you you know i am a very let's say high speed person by nature yes. so you know i was moving and grooving right i really can benefit and have continued now to benefit from kosher format of meditation which i've developed since. Okay. Mm-hmm. okay. So once I found out that meditation was helpful, we're talking guided imagery and meditation. Oh, about 15, 20 years ago, I started incorporating these things into my practice. And then saw the science. And then started learning the Sikha again with my rabbi. And then created an album of 12 relaxation and meditation recordings according to the Rebbe's request and guidelines that we determined and then gave the scripts to a Rav whom my rabbi confides in and looks up to, Rabbi Ulman, Yoram Ulman, the head of the base din in Sydney, Australia, and he gave approbation, a hecture, a kosher certification for my album and my recordings. So before we even get to the album, which is very interesting, I want to and I want to get to that. If we were to a, address the concept, the general concept of Jewish meditation itself, I okay, mean, what, what would that be? Okay, so here's the next next piece of info that's critical. There is Jewish meditation, and then there is what I would call parav-neutral or therapeutic or medical format meditation. Mm-hmm. The Rebbe in this talk that I've referred to a couple times, when he spoke about transcendental meditation, said that we're talking about a therapeutic meditation to calm the nerves. In Yiddish, he used the expression Subaruikin di nervin, to relax and calm the nerves. So this is not a meditation, and the Rebbe says, Jewish meditation is fine and well, but we're not using it as a medical meditation. Imagine, I'm saying Shema Yisrael, and I want to meditate on the oneness of God, and how God is one, the letter Aleph is one, Mm -hmm. in the seven heavens and the earth, the Ches is eight, and the Dalid refers to the four directions, the Ruchot. Right. So I want to meditate on God as one. It may become relaxing, but I don't do it in order to relax. I do it to connect with Hashem, uh-huh. right? right? And to have a godly experience and to try to serve God better and to understand Him and His creation. That's a totally different meditation. The Rebbe is explicit in the Sikha that Jewish meditation is well and good, but I'm not referring to it here. Okay? So the Rebbe actually bifurcates it 
right here in the Sicha. He says that our Avos, our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meditated. They chose jobs in the field and out of the big city. Imagine the clamor of the big city in the time of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can you imagine needing to escape that? Well, how much more so? Kavachomer, our cityscape is oh, insane. Yeah. <laughs> right? And our, uh, let's say, digital distractions. I believe anybody with a cell phone, a, a, a smartphone, needs some sort of quiet relaxation or meditation practice in their day-to-day -day life. We do. Even a few moments. Mm -hmm. The only people who probably don't need it are people who've been either very sincere in meditating their whole day and don't have phones like this and don't go online, or people in, uh, let's say, Africa. And, and their meditation is they are, they are weaving baskets or they are fishing. Or they are, right? right? They have meditation already. Right. They're, they're in nature all day long. This is something we're missing. So the Rebbe bifurcates and splits out the difference between a Jewish meditation, which should be a godly experience, and if you're able to do that, that's fabulous. But what about the person who can't even focus because he's ADD or ADHD or anxious or nervous or depressed or grieving? Or even those words don't yet mean anything to them because they don't have right. intellectual knowledge to comprehend their depths. Exactly. Depth. So sometimes we need to do a, a, a technique to stop the hijackings that occur in the mind gotcha. so that the person can calm himself down. Then he can also do Jewish meditation. But right now he might not even be able to. And what if the Rebbe, the Rebbe didn't speak only to Jews? The Rebbe did not want idolatry for anybody, right. whether it's a religious Jew, a non-religious Jew, or a non-Jew. Christians and Muslims are not allowed to do TM and speak to gods and goddesses. And the big meditation that's very ubiquitous now, because it's got these beautiful themes that you spoke about before, self-compassion and loving kindness and doing kind deeds, that's Buddhism. And it's very easy to be a nice Jewish person and have these beautiful Buddhist philosophies and meditate in a mindfulness way and not be committed to Judaism and live a peaceful, loving, kind life. However, okay. here's the little caveat. Buddhism is not a religion that we are allowed to uh, espouse. Some people might not even call it a religion, but there is a belief in Buddha and his philosophies are very spiritual, right? Otherwise it wouldn't be called Buddhism. Mm -hmm. And these philosophies, as we said, were found in the Torah much before Buddhism and Lahavdil and, and Hinduism. We knew this stuff already, so we can get love and compassion from the Torah. So we don't need the philosophy. Okay, so what about the meditation? Okay, well, a simple mindfulness meditation should be okay if it is a focus on a neutral object like the breath, a flame, mm -hmm. a, a pretty sunset, a sound. But many Buddhist meditations begin and end in the way that Buddhist monks begin and end their meditation with a tingsha symbol or a singing bowl or a chime to induct the person into the meditation and to end the meditation. So it's like, Gong! and now sitting quietly, pay attention to your breath. And at the end, Gong! that's the end of the meditation. Well, since Buddhists do it, and we are not allowed to follow Buddhist or Hindu practice, mm -hmm. So we are not allowed to begin and end the meditation with those instruments, the gong, the chime, the singing bowl, right? Right. And additionally, those instruments may have been used, some of them are antiques, when they come to America, they may have been used in Buddhist meditation, so there might be an intonation, a kavana, an intention that has been sung into the instrument, or thought into the instrument. For right. these reasons, Rabbi Ullman told me, 
one cannot begin and end a meditation with these gongs. Now, you can use an alarm clock and put it on a soft volume, or you can have, you know, a, a, a phone alarm, or you can softly open your eyes and look at a clock or a watch. That's not a problem. And in my meditations, I obviate the problem by saying, now close your eyes. That functions as the gong. And at the end, I say, and when I count to three, you can open your eyes. Mm -hmm. That's the end. We don't need a gong. And the Rebbe explains in the Sikha, any elements of this therapeutic meditation that are part of another practice that are not necessary for the therapeutic benefit need to be eliminated. So that means you can't use incense and you can't bow and you can't bend and you don't have to sit in a particular bent and contorted position or hold your hands in a particular way, uh-huh. right? They'll say, sit with your legs crossed on a little sit-upon and hold your hands up. You don't need to do that. When I took a course and they insisted that people do that, I told the instructor, I'm going to sit in a chair. Right? So you do things in a way that is not in the way of the Buddhist or Hindu meditation. Right? And the Rebbe ex- explains everything needs to be removed. So it's the bells and the chimes. It's you don't have to take off your shoes. You don't have to sit on one of those sit-upons. You don't need to sit in a particular way. No Buddhas are permitted in the room, of course. You know, no incense because that is part of an offering, etc., etc., etc. And we can still reap the benefits. On the contrary, the Rebbe knew, and at that time, there's a famous person. I'll introduce your audience to a gentleman by the name of Herbert Benson, Dr. Herbert Benson, MD, mm-hmm. who wrote a very famous book and follow-up books called The Relaxation Response. The Rebbe must have known about him because he teaches a very simple format. There are four elements to get to the relaxation response in his scientific method. Mm -hmm. And he says, you don't need a mantra and you don't need to do TM and you don't need the chimes and the symbols. You need an object of focus, Mm -hmm. a quiet place where you won't be interrupted, a gentle attitude toward it, right? That's basically it. (laughs) You don't need anything. Wow. So what do I do? In, in my meditations, I teach, in the basic ones, focus on the breath, because the breath, you don't need any equipment. You know, once you know the meditation, you can do this anywhere. Hopefully, you know, if you're alive, you've got breath. Right. <laughs> There's no equipment necessary. It's free. It's cheap. You don't need to spend, now you know what they charge for TM, to, to learn, to do an idolatrous practice and get a, a mantra put in your ear. $960. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So not only is the person doing an idolatrous practice by accident because they lie and they're uninformed, they're being ripped off. I can teach it for free. As a matter of fact, the Rebbe's talk, he says this should be disseminated widely. We're in America. We can do this. That was before the Internet era. Wow. If you go and type in mindfulness meditation free download, you'll get hundreds and I bet 90% of them are going to start and end with the chime. So people need to be cautious. That's all. So tell us about the name you chose, Noga, because I love that you did that. And <laughs> I, 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 I think it's really cute that you picked that. Yes. So in some of the communication that the Rebbe has with these mental health professionals, I told you, actually, 79 was when he gave the public talk. I think the Rebbe was frustrated at that point and made it public because in the 60s he approached Rabbi Dr. Avraham Tversky and asked him to do it. He was involved in other projects and did not get involved in coming up with a power of meditation. And then he approached Dr. Yehuda Landis in Palo Alto, a psychologist who was a new Balchuva, and he kept inserting Jewish things. And the Rebbe said, no, not Jewish, Parav. And he tried to get that thing going. And I, after that, the Rebbe sent a memorandum to, I believe, 50 or 60 mental health and medical professionals begging them for this. 
And one of the things in there, he talked about the problematic aspects of yoga and gurus and Eastern philosophy infiltrating this therapeutic modality. Mm-hmm. He knows that it's helpful, but he's concerned about the Eastern elements. So Noga, if you know a little bit of Kabbalah or Hasidus, Noga is a brightly shining effulgence. Klipat Noga, Klipa is the opposite of holiness. Klipat Noga is the unholy part that can be a little bit elevated because it's neutral. Right. So let's say we took, so in other words, it's a shell that in it has light. If we crack that shell, the light will come out. If we don't crack the shell, klipa means a shell. So things that are only shell-like, like pork that a Jew cannot elevate, or you know, anything forbidden that a Jew cannot elevate. You can't do anything about it. But then there are neutral things, like like foods. Like the majority that, of things we interact with on a daily basis. Day. Correct. Like our speech can be neutral. Mm-hmm. It can be elevated to holiness if we talk nice things like we're talking about today. Mm-hmm. And it can be denigrated if we swear and we use bad things. The table that we make as a Shabbat table could also be denigrated. Somebody could stand on it drunk and, and, and do crazy stuff, right? Right. Anything in our day-to-day life is klipas noga if it's not considered a holy or forbidden object. And we can elevate it or denigrate it. So I call it Noga because it's the shiny part of the neutral. The Rebbe doesn't want it to be Jewish. So my Parav techniques that don't have Jewish study in it that I can teach to a Jew or a non-Jew or that are neutral are called Noga. The other reason is because the Rebbe said not yoga. So no yoga is Noga. Oh, I didn't realize that. Okay. Asnoga is the elevation of the neutral. So all of my therapeutic meditations, I do have Jewish meditations when I'm working with a religious crowd and that's what they've requested of me, something more on the holy side. But that is not to get calm and well. Those are for healthy people who just want to connect with God better or connect with themselves better or relate to a fellow Jew better, right? Mm -hmm. That's a totally different purpose. Mm -hmm. The yoga recordings are all powerful. It's going to be focused on body and breath, focus on, let's say, guided imagery to the beach or to a forest and a stream, right? It's going to be something in nature, something neutral, like you said, our day-to-day interactions that are not considered specifically holy, right? Like kiddush or prayer or things like that. Right. And I noticed on your website, and I noticed, I remember hearing you talk about this before, that you've even developed one for children, which as a mother of kids who are starting middle school and the changes, you know, I find this could be so helpful. So talk to us a little bit about that since we have so many listeners who are mothers. Okay. So... (laughs) The beauty about children, God bless them, is they do this stuff much better than we do. They're more receptive. They're quicker to learn it. They have less and less of these problems because it's less time that they've practiced bad habits. Mm -hmm. Right? So they do this really well, and they also have a great imagination. So what I've done is I've, and I I don't mean it in a negative way, but I've dumbed down my beginner's meditation on the breath, and I created an introduction for children. I explain who I am and what I teach people, and I also teach them basic neuroscience concepts. Children can learn this stuff, Um, and then I teach them the meditation Um, with just simpler language, but it's basically a a meditation on the breath, focusing on the breath. When your mind wanders, you return your attention back to your breathing. And kids can do this. It's awesome. I love it. I think it's it's super, super cool. They do it better than their parents. And you know what? 
sometimes I say to the parent who's really into doing it for their kid, but they're also nervous, I say, you know what? You think your kid has problems? He's learning it from you. Why don't you do this? Do it regularly and he'll buy into it. Sometimes the kids are doing it and they're saying, mommy, you're nervous. Why aren't you doing it? I'm getting help. And sometimes the kids are doing much better. And then I teach them a relaxation technique they, they can do in literally in school. If they've got ADD and they're jumping out of their seat, they love doing this in front of their Mora or their Rebbe because they think they've got a secret going on. Meanwhile, they're behaving and they're able to focus. So it's a, it's a lot of fun working with kids with this stuff because they're better at it than we are. I love it. I love We've it. We've got years of bad habits and, and poor concentration. Right, and we have layers of biases and subconscious stuff that's already ingrained in us that we got to... <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, Al, you got it. The, the other thing is, is, and I don't know if Rifka told you about this, Rifka Fishman, one of your wonderful guests who wrote Sarah the Bucket Filler. Oh, great book, yeah. Um, so Rifka Fishman is hopefully going to be working on a project with me, along with some colleagues and some lay leaders, in developing a curriculum with these beautiful concepts of self-compassion and self-care and loving-kindness that is Jewish and teaching them the neuroscience. There's a famous actress, I'm sure you've heard of her, some of your listeners for sure have heard of her, Goldie Hawn, yeah. who has Goldie Hawn Foundation, and she created a program in schools called MindUp. And to my knowledge, I've read at least one of the volumes, and Rifka's read the second volume. I'm going for the third soon. There is no Buddhism in there. It's all neuroscience for little children and how they can calm themselves. So what we would like to do is come up with some kind of a pairing of these programs and give it to little children right away so that they've got these skills so that when they grow up, they don't need to be harried and overwhelmed, and they know how to put a phone down and and have patience and self-control. I think it's absolutely brilliant, just brilliant. And I'm so happy that you're all working on this. I think it's brilliant. And I have to tell you, um, Rivka Fishman used to be my son. She still is my son's teacher. And in fourth grade, she introduced... EFT, emotional freedom yes, technique, yes. into the classroom. Yes, she spoke to me about that. And yes. she said it changed the entire dynamic of the classroom. Yes, fabulous. Body, the stuff that works with the body, especially for children, it's so quick and it's so powerful. The tapping with, with verbal affirmations is such a powerful technique. Very powerful. And I'll tell you something funny. Yesterday, I'm not exactly sure what was going on at home, which is a good thing that I don't remember. <laughs> something must have been going on with one of my son's siblings. And then my son looked at me, I guess, from another side of the hallway where, where I could only see him, but the other ones couldn't see him. And he pointed and he started tapping. He said, and he whispered, or, or he made with his mouth, Mommy, start tapping. <laughs> He was telling me that I should tap because I was engrossed in some tricky situation with other kids. <laughs> wow. Yep. Wow. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, was that? Like I told you, the children, my kids in my practice, they teach their parents. They tell them, you need to do what Rusevora told me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Rusevora, let's get a little personal here. Let's talk habits and some things that you practice consistently, habitually, that you feel are key to helping you stay oh grounded and upbeat. Well, did you know, Yael, that on Shavuos morning I had a mini stroke? I did not know that. So go back on my Facebook page to June 8th, and you'll listen to the Facebook Live broadcast. It happened that my 58th birthday was a week after the stroke. And so instead of a birthday hakel, a farbrengen, I turned it into a sudato da'a, a Thanksgiving meeting, a party. And um, the week before, I woke up in a start. I had to rush to shul to get to the reading of the Ten Commandments. I turned around in a rush in the heat, even though people think that Buffalo never is warm. It actually does get warm in the summer here. Mm -hmm. And I got home and started 
preparing and I said, you know what, I didn't drink, I didn't eat, you know, I took a, uh, my, the coffee that I didn't get to finish, I put ice cubes in it, I knocked it, it spilled, it's spilling into my dining room where I'm just about to feed people in about an hour, I quickly dive down to wipe it up and I come up and my arm is flaccid. Uh-oh. And I didn't know anything about my voice or my eating or my swallowing or anything yet because I was alone. And I said, uh-oh, okay. I said, okay, but I'm cutting with my left hand. So, and I tried to cut my cucumber or whatever. I couldn't even hold it with my right hand. I said, okay, that's weird. All right, you didn't eat, go eat. So I mashed some eggs, put some salt and took a bottle of water. I'm not able to eat those eggs. It's very strange. I'm having a problem swallowing. I'm saying, uh-oh. And the water is drooling on my shirt. I'm like, uh-oh. So I eat as much as I can, and then I start making a bracha acharona, and after blessing, it comes out, I'm like, okay, something just happened, I must have had a stroke, a mini stroke, a sunstroke, what happened, a heat stroke, I said, okay, I got guests coming in a few minutes, Um, you know, I, I have to calm down, make sure I calm down, and in my head, because I couldn't speak out loud, I screamed at Hashem. I yelled at him. I'm a chutzpanyak. I said, God, you are not taking my voice. I needed to teach, to speak, to do therapy, to sing. There is no way you're taking my voice. It's not in your best interest. It's not in the best interest of your children. It's not in my best interest. I said, so you're not taking it away, period. And after that, I know I sound like uh, an arrogant, whatever you want to call it, but after that, I was calm. I said, God's not taking my voice. i got to use this. I still have to use this. I'm going to be fine. I had full bitachon, full trust. So one of the practices you ask, bitachon, every day. A continuous practice of bitachon. I was in what seems to be a life-threatening situation. I told God, it's not happening, buddy. <laughs> It's not happening. There were no deals. I didn't say, oh, God, I'll say chitas every day. <laughs> I'll be at tzedekat, and I'll say all my prayers. I, I wasn't going to do that. There was, there was no deals. It's, it, and so at that point, I was so calm that when the people came to help me, and then they called 911, and the ambulance came, and the ambulance guy doesn't understand why I'm talking to him, He's saying, calm down. I said, I'm calm. He says, but I need to take your blood pressure. I said, so go ahead. It was 120 over 71. So why is that? Another regular practice. I breathe slowly and deeply, intermittently, all day long. It's one of my techniques that I teach. I call it the breathing contest. If you would like, I can email you the PDF of it and give you a link to the meditation so you can share it on your blog. Yes. For free with everybody so that I do every day consistently and sometimes at night I do a visualization because I've got a very busy mind and so I go to the camp that I went to when I was a little child and usually at night I fall asleep halfway through because it was a big camp well now they're taking me to the hospital <laughs> right and if you didn't practice these techniques they wouldn't be available to me in the moment trust you me I tell it to my clients, if you don't, if the ballerina doesn't practice those moves, they don't look smooth on stage. Right. The pianist, the pianist needs to play his scales before he plays Rachmaninoff on stage. So you need to do these practices before you use it in real day-to-day life. If I didn't know these practices, I wouldn't have been able to employ them when all of a sudden I'm in a very dangerous situation. You know, that's such an important point. I very important point. People say, I tried to use it, but I didn't know how to do it. Right. Because you didn't do it daily in the background. You have to cultivate it daily, daily, daily. Exactly. When you don't need it. I tell them, practice it when you don't need it so that when you do need it, it'll be available. So then, now they got to take me into an MRI machine. Well, I don't know if you've ever done one. God forbid. It's so scary. They're very noisy, and you know me, I'm a big woman. I have to fit into a skinny little tube. Oh, it's horrific. Yeah. Right? Yes. Very noisy, and I'm in Buffalo. They don't have the fancy, expensive Bose headphones to, you yeah, know, to side the nose, right? The noise. Yeah. Cancer. 
So they put little fabric in my ears, and there's banging and clanging, and it sounds like I'm on a big construction site with Harley Davidson's ruling around. I said, you know what? I'm going to do slow breathing while they get me into this and relax my heart and my pulse, and then I'm going to go to my safe place, my camp. So I did. I went and I took the whole tour of the camp, which is a long tour because there are a lot of activities at that camp, riflery and archery and softball and chop put and, and, you know, and, and, and science and, and, and nature and arts and crafts. And it, it was such a huge camp and skiing, water skiing and boating and golfing. And so I did the whole camp. Then they say, Mrs. Wallen, we're pulling you out now. You're done. And I say, how long was it? That was 55 minutes. Wow. It's, it felt like five or 10. And I'm letting you know, I totally forgot I was in that place because I went to my safe place. If I didn't practice that safe place regularly, so again, you're asking me about habits, I wouldn't have been able to go there. That was before the stroke. As soon as they gave me the medicine, I was fine. Thank God. But they told me, and three doctors told me, if you didn't regularly practice what you're telling us you practiced, you would probably have had residual symptoms, problems with your speech, your gait, your hand, your swallowing. You would have had therapy because you did not have high blood pressure. So these techniques have helped me with my pulse. I wear a Fitbit now. Right now, mm -hmm. it's not very low resting pulse. It's 53. I just tapped it. 53 looks like I'm a, an Olympic athlete. <laughs> After that, I took, I was already having an exercise woman come in once a day. She comes once a week. She comes twice a week now. I was trying to improve my sleeping. I'm improving. I'm, I became a sleep balchuva. I read a fabulous book called Why We Sleep by Matthew Wheeler. It's an incredible book. Yes. Sleep balchuva. I, I, I'm a sleep balchuva too. I used to be a night owl, and let me just tell you, I go to bed at nine no matter what. My phone is in a setting that by yes. eight nobody can reach me, nobody can beep me, nobody can buzz me. God bless you. I gotta look back too. So hmm. now I've, I, I try to do 12 to eight. That's eight hours for me. It's very significant. I started at four hours over the last few years, improving to five hours to six hours. And then when I had the stroke, I was in six hours and I said, okay, got to jump to try to get the eight. And I've been making, you know, efforts every day, different efforts toward my, my self care. And the only way to get something ingrained this is the new neuroscience. This is where science and Torah converge. The Rambam says you need to do it over and over and over and over and over and over to be able to have it ingrained. Yes. Neuroscience says the same thing. Yes. You, you try to do something at least 45 days in a row. Well, it's like I explain sometimes to people, it's like people who understand SEO and Googling anything, the brain is able to pull easier because it's already there. It's top on the SEO. It's exactly. It's been optimized. It's been, it's familiar. Exactly. It's been scales under your finger. Rustavara, let's do a little bit of JLP fill in the blanks. And this is the, if all my guests do this and this is... I'm constrained by time because I have a client at 11.30. Yes. So let's I let her know that I'll be a few moments late. Okay? Okay. So we're just going to do these, fill, these. This is the wrap-up, okay? So here nope. we go. Uh, you try to fill out this, these blanks for me. I'm Rustavara Wallen, and I feel most spiritual when? When I'm with people on a Shabbos kind of retreat late into the night, talking Torah or philosophizing or connecting with a woman. Nice. My favorite mitzvah or one I feel most connected with is? Abbas Yisrael, without a question. Hmm. Loving people. Wow, very powerful. My fondest, sweetest Jewish memory is? Oh, goodness, it happens every day. <laughs> it's continuous. I love it. I so yeah. love it. Yeah, it's, it's, it's ongoing. I, I, you know what? I guess if you would have asked me early on in my Yiddishkeit, I would have said, oh, that first Shabbos that I spent. But it's no longer. Every, every 
peak experience is a new peak experience wow. for me. Wow. wow. Something I wish I had learned about Judaism growing up is? Hmm. That the Torah is true. Yes. Because I had to go through many clipot, these shells, of people saying it's not true, and that's not true, and it, it doesn't happen like that, and there's no such thing as a Jewish soul, and there's no... I asked, why are Jews and non-Jews different? Can you imagine somebody saying, but we're not? So then why the hell are they called non-Jews? Right. Why are they called Gentiles? And I, to me, I see that as a comparison to Jews. You're either Jewish or you're not. Or you're not. You're Jewish or you're Gentile. So what is the difference, please? They, they denied it. So I would have loved to know that the Torah is true, so I wouldn't have had to muddle through all of that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. When I give tzedakah, charity, I like to give to? The fund that I made in my parents' memory called the Tell Fund, because then I can do wonderful things in my little town called Buffalo. I can do wonderful activities and bring special speakers and and make programs and uh, concerts and such. Oh, how beautiful. And you said that was, you started that in your parents' memory? Yes, memory. First in my father's memory, and then I put out an album in his memory. And then I had speakers coming for the art site. And then when my mother passed, then we did it in both of their memories. And I've had Rabbi Majeski come from Crown Heights. I've had uh, a, a professor who's like a relative of ours come from Vermont. I've had a pianist come from Crown Heights who was brilliant. Last year he did my mother's yard site, playing her favorite kind of composers and Jewish music. Uh, this year I'm hoping to do something for her birthday and bring in a friend who's a brilliant speaker, Malka Tauger. Yes. Uh, so, I'm, uh, so I have the freedom with this tzedakah to do whatever I please. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And finally, I'm Rustavora Wallen, and today I'm most grateful for being alive mm. and being Jewish and being able to help people. Mm. Rustavora, thank you so much. This was so insightful and so wonderful. And I'm already telling you that I'm having you back because I have so many other questions. Uh, honor. We've got many topics that we just. We just we teased people with we exactly. So we're gonna come. We're gonna do this again. And everybody, tell us, Rusevara, tell us your website where we can find you and where we can get the Noga tapes, please. Absolutely. So I'm on cdbaby.com. My name is R D Wallen. R D like Rusevara Wallen. And you can get a physical album or the downloads at that location. If you want the free beginner's meditation on the breath, I'm going to give it to you so that you can put it up on your blog. But if they want it now, it's Reverb, like the sound Reverb Nation, one word, ReverbNation.com slash R.D. Wallen. They can get the free beginner's meditation on the breath, uh, free music downloads, free streaming of many different uh piece of music that I composed as well as another meditation or so. And um, I'm going to send you the actual link to the meditation as well as the, the, the breathing contest, which I call, which is a slow, deep breathing method that you have a contest with yourself and see how you can keep improving. Oh, how great. Your slow, deep breathing. And I hope a couple months I'm going to be beta testing an app with my recordings. So, yeah, Al, you'll be one of my beta testers. I would love that. Yes, I'm, I'm all yours for that. Okay. And then we can, of course, find you at TorahTherapeutics.com, right? Exactly. And Torah, in this case, is not spelled with an H. T-O-R-A. T-H-E-R-A-P, as in Paul, E-U-T-I-C-S, dot com. They can click around there. We hope to have new materials there soon. Also, if they want to reach me, they can reach me at either Noga at TorahTherapeutics.com, N-O-G-A, or at R-D, my initials, at TorahTherapeutics.com. Wonderful. I so appreciate this visit. I can't wait to put this out there. And um, thank you so much again. And let's do it again. Yes, Yael. Thanks a lot. Have a great day.
Thanks to Rustavora Wallen for stopping by. You can find Rustavora's free guided meditation as well as other meditations from her Noga Sound Solutions collection at toratherapeutics.com as well as cdbaby.com and reverbnation.com forward slash rdwallen. Plus, Rustavora does fantastic workshops for women, uplifting, musical, fun, and so be sure to check out, reach out to her and find out more to bring her to your community. Head over to jewishlatinprincess.com where you can download the breathing contest that Rustavora mentioned. I'm doing it, but I probably need one of you to, you know, hold me accountable or, you know, help me through this. I'm all about the external accountability, so I wouldn't mind a partner. I And God knows I could benefit from focus, deep breathing, meditation, all that. So be in touch with me if you want to get into this together and we could start with the breathing contest. Um, um, especially now that Passover is coming. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. It's not just Passover. In general, I'm sure I would benefit. I, I know everybody would benefit. So head over to back to jewishlatinprincess.com where you can download that breathing contest as well as the transcript for this episode and listen to the episode again. Oh, and over there, you can also check out our Purim costumes this year. We had a great Purim and we had so much fun in our Waldo costumes. You know Waldo from Where's Waldo? I write all about our Purim miracle and the lessons learned. I should be getting for Passover, ready for Passover, but I'm actually on my way to New York to bring my daughter to a competition. A well-deserved break, I guess, and a great opportunity to connect with old friends and make some work-related connections. I'm really excited about that. I love New York, and I'm really looking forward to going back to what used to be home. Be sure to take a minute to click on iTunes and leave a five-star rating and review. I'm loving all the ratings and the reviews. I read them all. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate them. And I'll see you back here next week. In the meantime, have a great week. Thanks for listening to Jewish Latin Princess Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe on iTunes, leave a rating, and share the podcast with the Jewish women you love. To access today's show notes, ask Yael a question, or suggest a uniquely talented Jewish woman to be featured on the show, visit jewishlatinprincess.com.